Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, you, you'll note, if you've been with us here, that this is not the Gospel of John. We'll wait until after the first of the year to uh, pick this back up. This is Thanksgiving Sunday, so we're going to express our gratitude. And I wanted to kind of get at it this way. Um, there was a time when I, I was in college, and the way that I earned uh, my walk-around money was by refereeing basketball. And our chapter of uh, the uh, basketball officials had got, like a good portion of, of what is known as the heart of Texas or central Texas. And so you'd leave out of Waco and you'd go, I mean, you could call in Waco at the bigger schools, but then um, inevitably it, it would show up on your um, your calendar uh, that you were going to go to some really small town. And I mean like small town and, uh, you know, 1A, 2A, like you know, the gym is right on top. Like, you know, this is that kind of thing. Um, so my friend Kevin and I got assigned uh, a couple of games together in the big booming metropolis of Glen Rose, Texas. Anybody? Yes, 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 yes. Glen Rose. Uh, it's bigger now than it was. It was very small and a long way away uh, down about six different country roads is how we got there. Uh, Kevin was coming from East Texas because uh, he had a meeting over there and I was coming. So we were just going to meet there instead of riding together. All was fine. We got there in time. Things went great. Um, the game, the first game was very, very close, uh, but it was a good game. The second game was even closer except the home team lost on a last second kind of deal. And um, as Kevin and I exited the floor, um, the coach managed to find where our locker room was and make his displeasure known by banging on the door and shouting things through the door. And it was a good thing Kevin had locked the door. I mean, like these were the, this was a situation where I found myself. And this is one of two times where I was really grateful for the police presence because they escorted us out of the building and out of the parking lot to make sure that we got the heck out of town. That was really good. Really good. Somewhere about six or eight miles out of town. And again, Glen Rose, Texas is a long way from, well, pretty much anywhere, especially as you're headed back to Waco. And so you're on far to market something or other. And as I'm headed back in, my car started acting weird. And I'm like, what is going on here? And then it started acting weirder. And it was stopped dead dead and I looked down and I took an assessment of the situation and thought to myself okay what has happened it's not the electrical system no no crazy lights or anything oh that gauge that is the F and the E gauge this is before they had the warning lights some of you who are of younger generation are like well, why didn't you just pick up your cell phone and call because this is before they had cell phones I mean, all of this kind of stuff. Thankfully, because we were in two cars, Kevin is about two miles behind me because it processed in my mind like, okay, I'm literally out in the middle of nowhere. It's a, still about 40 minutes home. How long would it take me to walk those 40 minutes? Could I remember how to get there? That's next week. Um, and then, uh, like, uh, well, I mean, I could go over and use a phone. There's a, uh, like a trailer in the middle of a field with some lights on. I've seen that movie before, you know, like I ain't doing that. And thankfully, Kevin pulls up and I'm like, oh, thank you, God, for that. <laughs> it's the only time in my entire life that I've run out of gas. Um, and what I want to get to today is, is just a reminder, because holidays are hard sometimes. But it's just a reminder that um, we don't have to wait till the fuel gets empty. 
We can consistently fuel our lives, our souls, um, with something that will keep us going and certainly keep our gratitude going. And so uh, today I want to talk about uh, gratitude here from Deuteronomy 7. And here is kind of the entire point of the whole sermon. Here it is right here. The grace of God is the best. It's the best, y'all. It really is. It is the deepest. And it is the longest lasting reason or rationale for our gratitude. Um, most of us don't have a gratitude problem. We have a grace problem. We forget. So when we sing, um, I won't forget what you've given me, Lord. That, that, that's, that, that's really our issue. So today I'm really just about holding up these uh, particular words. But gr- the grace of God, it is the best, deepest, and longest lasting reason for our gratitude. Try to give that to you in two words. Uh, the first flows out of, um, here in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And uh, uh, we'll look at the word declaration. Deuteronomy, if you're not familiar, uh, Deuteronomy is the, it literally means the second law. The way that it sits, it, uh, the people of Israel and Moses are on the edge of the promised land. They're getting ready to go in um, and um, they're, they're getting ready to establish uh, the, the people of God in the land that God had promised them. And God was going to keep his uh, promise to them. They're just on the edge of that. They survived getting out in Exodus. Uh, they made it through Leviticus and all the ways that they were going to relate to God. They, they, the, the terror that was the book of Numbers, and now they're in Deuteronomy before Moses goes uh, up to die, and before the people go into the promised land, he's like, hey, listen, y'all need to remember this stuff, and so he stands up and honks off a 34-chapter sermon. Some of you are thinking, and I thought, you priest long. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people's out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and he chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I want to just lock in on two words here. This will fuel our gratitude um, as we understand uh, the grace of God. Okay, so here's number one, Declaration. Declaration. He makes some things clear about who he has made us to be. Starting in verse 6. You are a people holy to the Lord. I don't know if you woke up and thought about that this morning, but that is a reality. Why? Because you are holy? No. Because he has made you to be holy to him. It's because of Jesus that you and I are seen by God as holy. Paul picks this up in Ephesians 1, multiple other places in the New Testament. But you and I, because we have put, if you have put your faith in Jesus, and for those of us who have, we are holy to the Lord our God. That, that is a reality. What in the world does that mean? Well, it means we're set apart for him. We are set apart for God. Secondly, it means that we are pure in God's sight. Not because you're pure in and of yourself, but because Jesus has cleansed you and made you right with him. Thirdly, it means that um, in light of that, in light of your set-apartness and in light of the purity that he has bestowed on you, there is a radiant beauty to your life. That, you, just, this is free, y'all, but uh, um, that determines... It should be a clear determinant in how we treat one another. That has an ethical implication. There's a radiant beauty um, to the work, uh, to us, because of the work that Jesus has done. And lastly, there is something awe-inspiring. When the people of God live as holy to the Lord, our God. Uh, There is something awe-inspiring about that. 
excuse me, all of this, as I said, is in relationship to God. It's not just a matter of us waking up today and being holy. It's that God has made us holy. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Next, next sentence here in verse 6. The Lord your God has chosen you. He has chosen you. He, he um, looked on, down on us and said, you, I want you. You can hear that individually, and that's a really important thing because that, that does some things inside of us, and it works some things inside of us. Yeah, it, it is a reality. Uh, you, you individually are chosen, but also like we collectively are God's people, and we are chosen by God. What does that mean? Well, it means uh, like God looks and says, I pick you. Uh, some people hear that, and they think of the playground. Did you have this experience on the playground? Um, it's kickball time. You're in fourth grade, right? The two most athletic people, inevitably, are the, are the team captains. And, uh, you know, they start choosing up sides, and all of a sudden you get down to, you know, two or three, four of you, something like that. And, well, I'll take you. I guess I'll take you. Uh, <laughs> you're with me. Oh, you're the last one. Some people, when they hear that, that's how they hear. But there's no reluctance in God. God doesn't look down and go, ah, golly, I, I guess you. I mean, I guess. Oh, oh, well, I mean, since you're the only one standing there, okay. That's not how God speaks about this, nor how he does this. Because this isn't picking a team on a playground. This is a wedding. It's two people. It is God and you. It's God and his bride. Um, and they are there, and you've got this radiant beautiful um, dressed woman here and you've got this really nervous guy in the tuxedo and you have this moment where they're together where one says to the other I choose you that's that's the kind of choosing that we're talking about here there's not a reluctance he does not feel stuck with you in some manner so when God speaks and he says you're chosen by God when he declares that to be a reality that kind of grace fortifies the gratitude that we feel and it fuels it. Um, this is kind of how, just maybe a little bit uh, um, more familiar story. But there was a guy in the New Testament. His name was Paul. And uh, he literally, quite literally, got knocked down off of his high horse. And that's when he met Jesus. And um, <clears throat> through that, he expresses this of himself. He says stuff like, I, I am one untimely born. Meaning like, man, I, I, just, I just slipped in, like barely, barely made it. But God, because of his grace and, and, and uh, uh, the, the way that that played out in my life, God's grace is magnified in my life. Even though I am one who didn't deserve to be here even a little bit. In 2 Timothy, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 1, here's how he describes it. This is verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and it is deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom, Paul's writing, of whom I am the foremost. If you're looking for a grade A sinner, Paul says, I'm your guy. Verse 16 says, and then he gives rationale, but I received mercy for this reason. That me, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect 
patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, yes, I was chosen by God, but not because I was awesome. Not because I was uh, in any way like a, 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 a great addition to his team. I was chosen by God to magnify his grace so that everybody who looked around went, well, I mean, I guess if he put up with Paul, he's going to deal with me. Okay. To magnify his incredible grace. We are chosen. Chosen. Chosen by God. Um, <clears throat> thirdly, he says there in verse 6, I just love it, so I'm going to read the whole thing. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Treasured possession. I ran across this word, uh, introduced to this word, uh, this summer uh, from our Pine Cove counselor at family camp. Um, the word is segula, everybody. That was a little weak. Let's try it. Come on. This is Hebrew. You're learning. Segula. Okay, that's perfect. Here's what it means. Segula is a private possession that is personally acquired, that is carefully preserved. I pulled that right out of the Hebrew dictionary. You know why? Because my grade in Hebrew was a C. Okay, so I'm not making this stuff up. I jerked that right out of the dictionary. Segula means a private possession that is personally acquired and carefully preserved. God says about us, we his people, those who have put their trust in Jesus and are called his own. He has chosen us. He has uh, declared us holy in his sight. And he says, you, you people are a treasured possession. I am considering you mine, mine, mine. That's what he's saying. And I have personally acquired this. I didn't send somebody to give it. Amazon did not bring you to my doorstep. I personally acquired it. How? By sending Jesus to the earth for sin in order to die to redeem a people who were lost and, and um, dead in their sin and bondage and to bring them a new kind of life. This is what, this is how I have personally acquired this treasure possession and I am carefully preserving it. One of the things I've been praying for you this week, even this morning, I just, God, give us room on our bookshelves to believe some of the things that you have said about us. Because some of us hear this, we see this word, we look at this and we're like, man, that's really amazing for those people down the road. Never in my life would that be true of me. And I'm telling you, it is true. Not because it's true of you. It's true because God says it is true of you. He has considered you in his grace, his private possession. He has personally acquired you by the death and the resurrection of his son. And he is preserving you so carefully and protectively until you are with him forever and ever and ever. You are his treasured possession. Do you have room on your bookshelf for that? Uh, can you clear some soul space so that that can settle down inside of you? It is what God says is true. Lastly, we are freely loved. We are freely loved. Look at verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to his father. So what, just break that sentence down. It's not because you were more in number. You didn't have a bunch of folks. 
You, you didn't have the biggest army. You weren't the biggest choir. This was not uh, the, the best uh, or the top or whatever. It's not because of those things that God set his love on you. Why did he do that? Just because he loved you. You are freely loved. There wasn't anything in you that warranted or merited it. In fact, it was the opposite. He says that you were actually the fewest in number. When he's doing that, he's not like uh, trying to be, uh, he's not diminishing them. He's just reminding them this is the reality of your life. You weren't awesome. You weren't fearsome. There wasn't a group of people that was like, oh, those Israelites or the church. Like, There will always be a place for the people of God to be on the outside and yet understand that they are fully and freely loved by God. Pushed away by society, but fully and freely loved. Outside of the culture as it expresses itself, but fully and freely loved by God. This is how he's always done this. He takes little groups, um, less than groups, remnant-sized groups, not super impressive groups, and he does something amazing with them. That's true. Now, before we turn that into an ironclad law... Because some people want to do that, and they say things like, well, that means the big group over there, God's not going to do anything there. That's not how this works. God can do whatever the heck he wants to, and we should always have hope that God will do exactly what he wants to in whatever group that we're trying to minister to or pray for or whatever, because God occasionally just does something huge in people. Thus, the story of Jonah, we've been talking about that with some of the students, the story of Jonah, right? Jonah goes to this monster city called Nineveh, and what does God do in chapter 3? He sparks a revival among this huge city, and if Jonah didn't believe that God was going to do that or have hope that God would do that, he should just jump back in the fish and just stay, am I right? So, that's where we are. You're freely loved. Freely. The, the two words that he uses there, I just want to note. The Lord set his love on you. Two more Hebrew words. That's the word chasak. Here's what it means. That God is attached to you. He takes pleasure in you. He is adhering to, glued, if you will, to you. He's, he's already, his love is already expressed and moving toward, bound, if you will, to the beloved. It is a love that will not let go. He has chosen to do this freely. So. And then he says in verse 8, it is because the Lord loves you. Different word there, ahava, this inclination and desire to love. He just does it because that's what's in his heart. That is what is in his heart to do. Now, Friday night, we get a text that says, Hey, um, we've got a birthday party, and your daughter is invited. It's tomorrow. Cool. Fun. Fantastic. Here are the details. So, Friday evening, Little Bit and I jump in the car, and we got to go buy a birthday gift. We have two stops. Um, Bath and Body Works is where she wanted to go to buy for her little friend. Perfectly fine. No problem. But we also had to go to Hobby Lobby because we were missing uh, one thing um, to finish up the Christmas tree. By the way, our Christmas tree is up. And for all you haters, I just want you to know it's up. Okay? You want to come fight me later? I'll be right down there. Stop. So we go to Hobby Lobby first. 
We're just making the loop here. Uh, we roll in, find exactly what we need. We got no problems at all. All is well. Uh, my wife had previously sent me a coupon and she's like, hey, don't forget to use a coupon. So I roll up and Irma is the nice lady who's checking us out. She's very nice. And I say, oh, Irma, I've got these couple of things here and I've got a coupon. And she says, we don't do coupons. Everything's on sale. I get a yeah from the third row back there as if you know... Hobby Lobby is dangerous territory for me as it is. And I want you to know I had no idea. And I'm like, Irma, but you don't understand. My wife said to use the coupon. And the as much as we are in this relationship right now, I gotta go home. Like I like you please scan. I'm zooming in. Please, here's the barcode, please scan. She goes, We don't do coupons. Everything's already on sale. And I'm like, it says 20% off. I need the 20% off. Just, I mean, not because it's a lot of money. I just need to tell my wife that I use a coupon. She goes, you don't understand. Everything's already on sale. She looks at it. She goes, hey, is that from Michael's? Are you even at the right store? <laughs> the manager is like from me to the drum kit right here. And she just dies laughing. <laughs> Falls over laughing. And finally, Little Bit, who is nice enough to fill me in at this point, goes, Dad, Dad, that's the coupon for the next stop. That's the coupon for the... (sighs) That's Bath and Body Works? Okay, Irma, can you just check me out? I need to go, like, now. (laughs) Hobby Lobby's bad enough. Hobby Lobby with the wrong coupon is even worse. Let's get out of here. I tell you that story... Uh, Because some of us roll up on God and we're like, hey, God, look, coupon. I brought this to the table. Scan it. Scan it. It'll make you love me more. Come on, come on, come on, God. Put your little beep beep on this thing. Look, I've got a barcode and everything. It's 20% off. And God always is on the other side going, everything's on sale, man. We don't do coupons. No, no, no. I brought this so that you could do what you're going to do for me. Everything's already on sale. That doesn't count for anything. No, 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 God. I'm giving you a reason to do this. And God says, Jesus is the reason that I'm doing this. You do not, you do not have to show up at the cash register pretending that you've got something to bring to the table. Jesus has paid, it is done, it is finished, it is over. His love is real and it is freely, freely bestowed on you. Why? Because he just had the inclination to do so. He has attached himself, adhered himself to you and he will not let go because that is his desire. It's not because you brought something to the table. It's just who he is and what he has done for you. In your worst possible moment, you are just as loved as in your best possible moment. When you are at the top of the mountain and it's blue skies and everything is amazing and incredible and it's 65 degrees and you can see for miles in that moment right there where you're singing the praises of God. God does not love you any more or any less than when you are in your darkest moment. And the valley is so deep that you're not sure if you're going to actually make it through. And when you're down there, in that moment right there, you are no less loved 
than when you are on the mountaintop and all is well. God has chosen and called you his treasured possession and freely, church family, freely set his love on you. No coupon needed. Amen. Declaration. It, it, it just, if you think like that, if you talk like that, people won't, people won't do what God wants them to do. Church family, what I'm saying is, the Bible talks like that, and that's the only way that people are genuinely transformed so that they will do the thing that God wants them to do. It is the power of that love that sets people free to do the things that God wants them to do. I just note here, quickly, in verse 8, it is because the Lord loves you, He is keeping His oath that He swore to your fathers. Meaning what? We are a part of a larger story. It's not as if um, uh, uh, I'm just so awesome and so this is why God picked me. We are a part of a larger story. There are people who have come before me that experience God's faithfulness and his promises. And there will be people who come after me. And I am in this particular chapter, in this particular day, in this particular moment. And that is both both humbling because it sets me in something way bigger than just myself. I do not get the privilege of saying, oh, look at me, I'm kind of a big deal. Um, It is humbling in that way, but it is also incredibly solidifying because if God was keeping his promises to the people that he made to those promises to a long, long time ago, if he was faithful yesterday, today, I hope today that God will be faithful to me today. And when tomorrow comes with all that it will hold, when the holidays show up and the people show up around the table that I'm not even sure I like or want there, when um, all else is, is, is going crazy, breaking loose, or, or bringing chaos to my world, whatever it may be, whatever tomorrow holds, if God was faithful then and He's faithful today, I have hope that tomorrow He will be faithful too. It is solidifying. It is humbling. This is not all about me. It's about Him. And it is solidifying because it's about him. I can trust that yesterday and today and the same, he will be exactly who he always has been. Declaration. Uh, second, deliverance. Look at the universe eight. Look at the universe eight. <clears throat> he, he kept the promise that he swore to the fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Slavery and Pharaohs. What's slavery? Slavery, the circumstance. The circumstance and hardship of the life without grace. There, that's what slavery is. It is the place where there's no help from the Lord to give you the power to do the things that He wants. And some of you know exactly what that feels like because the addiction cycle, of just it's really not a cycle, it's a spiral. Like it's sucking you down the drain and you feel like oh, there is no help for me in that moment and the hardship that follows as a result of that. Some of you, because of things that are in your life or the brokenness that's in your life, the realities are that those kinds of uh, um, Feelings, if you will, that that sense of slavery, I am bound to this and I will never, ever, 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 ever get free. That, that right there, is what God has brought deliverance from. And he says, secondly, not just that, not just slavery, but also uh, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What's Pharaoh? Pharaoh is the power that keeps you in that kind of life. Church family, there is always a snake in the story. There always is. And so, here... God is bringing you out of. He is delivering you from slavery. And delivering you from the power that keeps you in that kind of life. 
He's delivering you from slavery. He's delivering you um, from Pharaoh. The kind of deception and darkness and destructive power that is at work to bring you down. Jesus wants to liberate you from. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, um, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses in which you once formerly walked. I mean, there's no mince in that. It's just spiritual death. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which, uh, which you once formerly walked. Following the course of the uh, prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is working the sons of disobedience. There's Pharaoh right there. There's the power. The snake and the enemy. And you were indulging the desires or, or, or uh, giving, uh, giving in to the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And you were by nature children of wrath. Meaning like you and I were bent away from God and were experiencing the consequences that comes as a result of that bent. And then the two most glorious words in that entire book and maybe in the New Testament, but... God. He looked at us and he's like, oh yeah, watch this. But God. But God who is rich, incredibly rich in his mercy and because of the great love with he, which he has for us, he raised us with him, gave us new life, he made us alive together with him, raised us with him, seated us with him in the heavenly realms. It is by grace, folks, that we are saved. It's deliverance. It's deliverance. And some of you think to yourselves, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I don't know that, uh, that I've got this in me or I think this may be too big of a thing. But the reality is, is that the, these kinds of things fuel our faith and, and fight our fears. Look down, if you will, in verse 17 now. Deuteronomy 7, verse 17. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? Some of us know exactly what that question feels like. You may not say it that way, but it's something like this. God, I, I think I'm in over my head. This is too big an enemy. The mountain is too tall. The force is too great. The numbers are against me. It's too big. What am I going to do? If you say in your heart, the nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? Look, look at how he describes this deliverance. Verse 18. You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. Number one, remember. Remember what God did to Pharaoh. Don't ever forget that. Remember how God brought deliverance. Verse 19. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm, and then he goes, by which the Lord your God brought you out, so will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. God, I'm afraid. I think I'm going to get conquered by this. Just remember what I did to Pharaoh and know that I will do that again. He brings deliverance. God will do it again. Verse 20. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets. Hornets? Yes. Hornets among them. Until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. The kind of deliverance that God, that God will bring will bring full destruction to the enemies of our lives. And so just think to yourself, there is one day when all the enemies, all the things that are against me and, and uh, uh, face me and want to bring destruction into my life, they, by the grace of God, will be ultimately destroyed. Hornets are destructive. Anybody bumped into a hornet lately? Nobody thinks, hey, I'm going to bring along my pet hornet. You get a mess of those things. It's danger. He's going to use those kinds of things to drive all of that. He is bringing destruction. His deliverance will bring their destruction. And then if you are an underliner in your Bible, 1721 is something worth, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 21 is something worth underlining. You shall not be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. 
God is in our midst. His deliverance will be destruction, and he will stay in our midst. He will stay right with us. Great and awesome. God's deliverance makes his declaration a reality. Because he has done what he has done, the declaration is real. But his declaration gives purpose to his deliverance. He didn't just set you free and then say, okay, kids, good luck, hang in there. He didn't just bring you to the edge of the promised land and be like, you know what, I'm sure you'll figure it out from here. His deliverance, his declaration brings this kind of uh, purpose to his deliverance. This is what he's done. And in Jesus, I need you to know this is exactly what he has done for us. We're not just talking about it in Deuteronomy. It's the story of the Bible. God has come and he has brought um, the kind of redeeming power to bear on our lives, to set us free from sin and death. He has conquered sin by Jesus dying on a cross on a Friday. And he has conquered the corroding power of sin, that is death, by raising him from the dead. Listen, there's no better story than that right there. And the deliverance that he wants to bring makes the declaration a reality. You really are a chosen people, holy to the Lord, treasured and freely loved because of who he is. There's no enemy too big. Jesus has done it. Let me pray for us. Father, for um, the next few minutes here, I just give us the kind of grace that we'll need to respond in the ways that we need to. Um, as we've prayed so many times, I ask again, you would just individualize this for us. Some of us need to hear what you have said. Some of us need to remember what you have done. I ask God that you would um, uh, put down any distractions in this moment. Whatever maybe calling for our attention. Instead, would you, the one who has sown the seed, as the parable goes, make sure that that seed gets planted deep, deep, deep into our hearts so that we can bear the fruit that you want us to bear. God, thank you for your love that's free today. Thank you for your faithfulness that puts us in a story that allows us to count on you. We want to be people marked by that. Grant us that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.